So we are continuing our current all-in series by talking about going all out. To help us get a picture of what this might look like, I want to introduce you to someone named Korchok Jolkovsky. Not an everyday household name, yet if you've uh, seen pictures of Mount Rushmore, you're actually familiar with some of his work. But as massive as a project as that was, it pales in comparison to the challenge given him to go all out in 1947. And here's how it happened. The Lakota Indian chief, Henry Standing Bear, and there he is, Standing Bear's right there, next to Korchok Jolkovsky. He challenged him, or commissioned him, to create a larger-than-life statue out of a mountainside of the heroic war leader, Crazy Horse. How large a statue is it? It is 563 feet high, 641 feet long. When complete, it will be the largest statue in the world. And that's right. It's not complete yet. Why? Because it's huge. To give you an idea, all of the 60-foot tall heads of Mount Rush, Rushmore would fit inside Crazy Horse's head. On June 3rd, 1948, 40-year-old Jolkovsky began the work on the statue and dedicated the last 34 years of his life to continuing the project until he died on the work site in 1982. And they buried him there down at the base of the memorial as a tribute to him, I imagine, of going all out. After him, his wife Ruth continued the work until she died shortly after. Since the early 80s, all ten of their children have been involved somehow in either carving or running the Crazy Horse Memorial. With a projected completion date of 2050, I imagine the third generation of Jolkovskis are already involved and the fourth generation perhaps is getting groomed to take over the projects and perhaps they'll be the ones who get to see this 102-year-long project through to completion. And though as impressive as all that is, it will still fall 18 years short of the 120 years it took Noah to build the ark. Genesis chapter 6 verse 14 tells us that God said, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. By comparison, that is one and a half football fields in length. The inside storage capacity would have the equivalent of 569 railroad train cars. The National Zoo in Washington, D.C. has 2,000 animals from 400 different species. So Noah's Ark would have been able to fit 60 National Zoos on board. If you've ever been to the Ark Encounter in northern Kentucky, you've seen what's supposed to be a full-size replica of Noah's Ark built according to the dimensions given in the Scriptures. I haven't been there yet, but pictures alone 
are quite impressive. I like seeing how huge the ark is compared to how tiny, the, you can kind of see them there, the bottom left, bottom, yeah, bottom left, of how tiny the people look in comparison to how huge the ark is. Now imagine that seeing the ark might move one's opinion of the whole thing, maybe a notch or two, maybe from skeptical to plausible that the whole Noah's Ark thing might have actually happened. Which brings us to the elephant in the room. Did Noah's Ark and the worldwide flood, did you catch that elephant in the room? Good, okay, you're tracking. <laughs> did the whole Noah's Ark and the worldwide flood actually happen? Personally, I believe it did. I believe it did because the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 1-1, it begins, in the beginning, God. With God, all things are possible. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. He can create the world in six days. Part the Red Sea. Had Jonah swallowed by a big fish. But if you actually look at the Hebrew, it's sea monster. Spend three days in the belly and then get vomited out. God can come down to earth as a baby, born of a virgin, live on this earth as the God-man Jesus Christ, be crucified, die, buried in the belly of a tomb for three days, and then raised to life. Considering all that happened afterwards, God was just warming up with Noah's Ark. And here's another reason. The Bible has proven itself to be true throughout history. Despite the attempts from critics and skeptics to discredit it. And outright attacks from those who tried to destroy it. For example, one time in, in uh, Bible college, my professor passed out a photocopy of an Encyclopedia Britannica article that talked about the Mede civilization. And in that article, it mentioned that the only place that the Medes are mentions are mentioned is in the Bible, which just shows it's one more reason why that the Bible is not true. Which that apparently that was the, the, the position that they held until they found coins that had the Mede Medo Empire impressed or imprinted on it. This whole area of biblical archaeology when they uncover all these things and just proves over and over again that the scripture is true. One example of a critic would be Voltaire. He was a French philosopher in the 1700s. He once stated that 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Whereas Voltaire is all but forgotten, the Bible still remains. And add to that the irony that the Geneva Bible Society for 100 years after his death used his house to print Bibles. But my belief in Noah's Ark goes beyond the old saying, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Because outside the Bible, civilizations all over the globe share a common catastrophic flood story. Whether they live by the sea or in mountainous terrain, from Pawnee tribes in Nebraska to Meow tribes in southwestern China, 
from Eskimos in Alaska to Biami people in Papua New Guinea, an analysis of 200 flood traditions from all over the world revealed that 95% of them share common elements in the Noah's Ark account recorded in the book of Genesis, including the part about it being a global flood. There is also a list I learned about this week from ancient Babylon known as the Sumerian King List, which mentions the city, Shurapak, Mesopotamia, as being the hometown of someone whose name, when translated, is Noah. Which makes sense, because throughout that region, there are cities that bear the names of Noah's descendants mentioned in the book of Genesis. But the most meaningful reason I believe in Noah's Ark and the whole flood thing is that Jesus believed it. One time referring to what it's going to be like when he returns for the second and the last time, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is talking about the end of the world here. And comparing it to what things were like leading up to the flood, the last time the whole world was practically destroyed. As his return is a fact, Jesus compares it to the facts surrounding Noah and the flood. He's being serious here. Jesus believes it. And so since Jesus believed in Noah's ark, and he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, which turned out just like he said, I'm with him. And I believe what Jesus believed. Now let's go back to Noah's Ark, according to Genesis 6, verse 5, to see why God sent this destructive flood. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I, that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We'll come back to that part in a moment. But we have to answer this question. Why the flood? Because of the great wickedness of the human race. God is a patient God. But apparently, even He has His limits. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. God had had enough. Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. 
So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 focuses in on Noah now. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. You've got to love when the Scripture writes the sermon for you. That's just a perfect outline right there. This is an account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Why Noah? Because Noah was righteous. Meaning he acted rightly towards God and others. He was blameless. He did what he could to stay away from sin despite what the people around him were doing. And he walked faithfully with God. In the scriptures, walking is synonymous with living. Noah lived his life in such a way that the majority of his steps were faithfully in line with God which echoes his being blameless and righteous. Was Noah sinless? No. Was Noah perfect? Not at all. But in walking with God, that he lived his life in such a way that the majority of the sum of his steps were faithfully in line with God. And there's something else here too. It's the idea of relationship. When you go, with a, go on a walk with someone, you know, if it's your spouse, you all hold hands and, and you talk. And you talk about the day and what's going on and what's happening. You might talk about your dreams. You might talk about your fears. It's relationship. Noah walked with God just like Noah's great-grandfather did, Enoch. Enoch chapter 6 says, no, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 5 verse 22 tells us about Enoch. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. About Enoch, the story goes that God would come to Enoch's house every morning and, and they, every day they would go on a walk and each time they would go a little bit farther. Until one day they walked so far and it got so late that God said, Enoch, we really walked a long way today and it's getting late. Why don't you come home with me since we're closer to my house than yours? And Enoch did. And then Enoch was no more because God took him away. Noah had that kind of relationship with God, which must have empowered him to be righteous and blameless in spite of what was happening all around him. Do you see the connection there? The connection between the connection between Noah walking faithfully with God connected to his ability then to be righteous and blameless in such a corrupt society. How corrupt? Genesis 6, 11 tells us, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. 
God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, all except Noah. You feel like you're one of the only lights in your school, in your workplace, in your home. No one knows exactly how that is. No one knows exactly how it feels. I want to encourage you to keep shining because God sees. Keep shining like Noah did. Don't give in to the corruption or violence or sin that's around you. Like Noah, be righteous. Be blameless among the people of your time. Walk faithfully with God. Why? Because like Noah, you too will find favor in the eyes of the Lord if you're all in like this. And if you're all in, you'll be prepared to go all out like Noah did. Genesis 6 verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will, will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Remember that phrase, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, 120 years go by. The ark is completed. And in chapter 7, verse 1, God says to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Skipping to verse 4. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all the Lord commanded him. There's that phrase again. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. The verse goes on. Verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals of birds and all creatures that move along the ground. Male and female came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. Did you hear the similar phrase? Kind of said maybe a little bit differently. As God commanded Noah. Before this it was, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded. And before that it was, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. As being righteous and blameless and walking faithfully with God was necessary for Noah to be all in. Noah's obedience was key 
in him going all out, doing everything just as God commanded him to do, even if it took him 120 years to accomplish what God wanted him to do. Well, how did things turn out? After the flood waters subsided and Noah and his family and all the animals left the ark, Genesis chapter 9 says, verse 8, and then God said to Noah, to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that come out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Noah went all out for God. Now the most obvious example of that is the ark. But a level beneath that is Noah's obedience. Noah did everything that God commanded him. We're such an ends justify the means society. But not with God. Noah completed the ark. But it was his all out obedience all the way through that made his project a success in God's eyes. Likewise, we cannot forget that before Noah went all out, he was already all in. Noah found favor with God because he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So what does this mean to you? I've kind of been thinking about that, and I'm going to share some other things, but this morning I, I wrote down a couple things. To me, it means finish strong. I want to finish strong. To me, it means that my ark is my family. I want to finish strong for them. I'd say that your family is your ark as well. That family might be what, you know, kids that you and your spouse have. You might be an aunt or uncle or grandparent. You might be a teacher. So many of us encounter kids all throughout our, our lives that you have an opportunity to, Im, to be an impact on them. Finish strong. 
throughout this all-in series, it's someone who became a Christian when he was eight and wanted to be a preacher since he was in fifth grade. And now, uh, now I am. For 20 years you go, well, okay, well, what else can I do, God? How else can I be all in? And some of you have already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're not looking to anything else, you're not looking to anyone else to save you except our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What else is there for you to do to be all in? Finish strong. Go all out. All the way. He who endures to the end will be saved. So what does this all mean to you? To answer that question, you need to answer this. Do you want to find favor with the Lord? Do you want to find favor with the Lord? If not, do whatever you're doing. But if you do, if you do want to find favor with the Lord, then you learn that requires all-out obedience to God. Supported by living an all-in lifestyle that's exemplified by pursuing righteousness. That is, acting rightly towards God and others. Being blameless. That means striving to stay away from sin regardless of what others are doing. And finally, to go all out. You've got to be all in. And that requires walking faithfully with God. Working daily on your relationship with Him. And really the first place to start, if you are not yet a Christian, if you are not all in in that way, is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today can be your day. You know, after this last mass, mass shooting, our family didn't talk about it, but in past tragedies we have talked about it, about what can you do to prepare for something like, like this, something as senseless as this. And what you can do is to make sure that you are right with God. Because we don't know what the future holds. But if you are right with God, you can know that you have eternal life. In fact, the scripture says, I think it's in 1 John 5.11, that it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. So if you haven't taken that first step, in a moment we're going to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And during that time, if you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll be in the back with you and I'd love to start a conversation with you. When we come to this point of communion and we take the bread when it is passed, we take the cup, the bread represents Jesus' body. How he went all out for us, giving himself for us on the cross. He died, he buried, and he rose again. And we take the cup that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're amazing. And I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Dear God, we want to f find favor in your eyes, Lord. And I thank you, God. It's just amazing how your word lays it all out if, if we use Noah as our example.
Dear God, we, we want to strive for righteousness. We want to strive for blamelessness. Lord, we want to walk closer to you. And dear God, we're not perfect and we're sinners and we thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to take care of that as well. We thank you for that invitation that you give us to come to you. And Lord, each week we, we, we pause and we take this moment to remember your son of his body and his blood. And Lord, we take, we take part in this uh, communion that we remember what he did for us, but we also take it in anticipation of him coming again. We thank you, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.